In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Draft Time Show on the Voice of Islam. Today with myself, Reza, Brother Qiyum and Brother Daniel. Over the next two hours, we are going to be with you speaking about two topics as usual. In the first half of the program, we're going to speak about cobalt mining in the Congo. What exactly um, is happening there and uh, the humanitarian issues as well as the environmental issues. And one thing that is attached to cobalt mining in the Congo as well, unfortunately, is child labor. So we will have a look at that. We're going to take a um, a look at that, uh, speak to some of uh, the guests that we have invited for today uh, in the course of the next hour. And then in the next half of the program from five to six, we're going to take a look at the promised Messiah and his arrival. How do we have to understand that in the context of different religions? What is the significance of his arrival in this current day and age that we are going through? And a few more issues. So as always, if you want to have your say, you can give us a call on zero two zero eight six eight. Seven seven eight seven eight, or you can send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Don't forget, we're also on Instagram, so go to Instagram on Voice of Islam UK and uh, yeah, join the conversation, leave us a comment. And there's usually a question, a poll that we have on Instagram, and uh, you can check that out on our Instagram story. And as always, leave us a comment, cast your vote, and if you have any questions, comments, whatever, then feel free to um, get in contact. Gentlemen, assalamu alaikum to you as well. It's been a while. Wa alaikum assalam. Yes, it has indeed been a while. You've been on your sojourn um, and a very blessed one at that. So we'd like to hear from you a little bit on that. And uh, Brother Kiyum, our um, elderly member of the team here, obviously was uh, uh, has been <laughs> Two under, minutes into the show, under, we start. under the weather. So a warm welcome to you, uh, my elderly, very elderly, Senior unwell. Citizen. Uh, brother, and really have good to have you on the show, back on the show, I should say, after weeks. I missed you. I don't know about the listeners. My young children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, peace be on you, gentlemen. Yes, uh, it is good to have uh, good to have both of you, gentlemen, mm. both of you, children, right. under my umbrella again. <laughs> Things have been looking down as I've, well. I've been away on Fridays, sure. but. Uh, <laughs> So I needed to come back and to up the game. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, of course. No, no two things no, about yeah. that. Uh, all I'm worried about are, are your knees and your uh, your toes and your ankles. Um, obviously, you know, age. Uh, don't, don't forget the back. Don't forget takes the back. a toll on, on those. Uh, yes, obviously the back. Are they better now? Uh, no, actually. Okay. It is something I have... I'm going to learn and to to learn to, to live it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. knees, knees, yeah. knees, and 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 back. Head, shoulders, sure, and obviously. And, 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 there you go. You see. Yeah, head, shoulders. And, 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 see, and, and, I'm I'm so glad both of you gentlemen know this nursery because you're still you're that, still you know, can I just you're still that, having to sing this to your children. Oh, this, is, this is all in, in in the name of sacrifice. I mean, you're such a such a great example, living example go. of sacrifice. You know, that, that's how we that's how we look at it. That's how we look at it. You know. Despite the fact that you're in pain, despite the fighting fact that you've on. had these I'm fighting, not in, fighting. Okay, absolutely. let me clarify something. I'm not in pain anymore. Okay? I'm not. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I exaggerated. Man. There is no pain okay. anymore. The pain, I, I take, the pain, I take that the pain is that I suffer as both of you. Yeah, and the pain is okay. to listen to the <laughs> both of you. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the pain, the pain. <laughs> the pain <laughs> is what the listeners have to bear. We had our two hour. minutes. <laughs> we had our two minutes. That's the end of it. And we're going to come back to this when the next hour starts. All right. Now, the question on our opinion poll today on Instagram story is who mainly buys cobalt from the Dominic, uh, from the Dem- Democratic Republic of Congo? Is it battery makers, is it jewelry makers, arms dealers, or biomedical scientists? Now, 
Moving uh, into this topic, uh, at the very beginning, we, I think, it's it's what what is happening with the world today and with all the the news that is dominating uh, the the media. There is little attention on on this topic in specific and the injustices that are occurring at the cost of cobalt and copper mining in the Congo. And because of that. Um, and because of the use of child labor, because of the abuse, the exploitation, and a lot more, thousands have been killed or left without, left with long, lifelong changes. So we're going to take a look at how ethically clean energy really is, and what is driving the demand for these minerals. You know, <clears throat> I've been we most of us have been fairly active in respect of what's been happening in in Palestine, with the systematic genocide of people, um, but. Uh, Recently, I was going through all my tweets, and, and a lot of people from Africa um, were tweeting about Congo. And, and it's very relevant that Congo has actually been in the news for decades mm-hmm. for the same reason, but nobody's been giving it attention. And it is something that does need giving attention. So and I, so I tweeted to a lot of people. I said, look, there, there, is, uh, um, there are thousands, if not millions, of people who are online on LinkedIn, on Twitter, you name it, the social media platforms, who are fighting for the cause in Palestine. And this would be the right time to put that into perspective as well, that, look, this fight that we're fighting for justice and humanity shouldn't just be for Palestine. It needs to be across the board. It needs to be a global fight. And so many people responded saying they had never thought of it as a global thing. But yes, it is a global thing. The injustices that are happening in Congo that have been detailed for at least a decade that I can think of. Um, yet it hasn't been given the intention, rightly so, as Brother Raza said. And while we fight for the cause for justice and humanity in Palestine, I think we need to give um, um, attention to what is happening across the, on the other side to of other the world as well. As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, and the reason why that is because there's good momentum here. If the momentum for, for keep looking for justice and humanity that we are looking for in Palestine, then then similarly, that same momentum can be transferred a bit of that to across Africa um, and because they need it. They need um, uh, people to raise their voices um, where we are because what we're going to be talking about for the next hour or so is benefiting mostly people in the developed world because when we talk of cobalt mining, mm-hmm. Um, the beneficiaries are the, is the developed world. But that is something we will get to over the next hour or so. Absolutely. And let's uh, try to bring this discussion in a context. So what are we mm-hmm. talking about here? So Congo possesses the world's largest cobalt reserves and the seventh largest copper reserves in the world. And there's increasing demand given the growing need for lithium-ion batteries that we use everywhere in mobile phones and electric cars and in many other devices, actually. So the global demand for cobalt has increased significantly, is expected to increase even more, putting pressure on the supply chain and keeping this issue in um, uh, in attention, uh, or, or current, uh, should I say, even if not in attention. So this is occurring simultaneously with the conflict um, from different rebel groups within Congo, neighboring countries, as well as regional powers. <clears throat> And local uh, journalists um, describe this as actually a genocide going on mm. in in Congo. And I think 
Uh, I really like the way you linked the, uh, the, the two issues that you uh, talked about earlier, Brother Kiyo. So cobalt mining industry in Congo has been associated with serious human rights issues, including child labor, excessive working hours, degrading treatment, violence, discrimination, racism, unsafe working condition, and a disregard, a total disregard for even the basic health provision, something that we would um, treat as very, very basic and rudimentary here in the West. As a result of these conditions, many lives have been lost over the years, and the exact toll of lives actually uh, nobody knows, uh, especially due to cobalt mining. Uh, but the estimates suggest that it could actually be um, uh, in thousands annually. Mm. So that is the extent of the problem, uh, and hence the word genocide. Yes, and, and I think you rightly point out that the value of human being is non-existent that people die and automatically somebody else is replacing that person. And if you actually, you know, we um, have been emotionally affected by the imagery that's coming out, what we see on social media about Palestine. And I will continuously make the comparison because it is as important to raise. If you look at the, the imagery of children in cobalt mining, it is devastating. It is, um, it's painful to watch. Um, that how children are being used in in Congo um, by uh, you know developed countries around the world because um, you know ownership is is important who owns what mm. um, until 2016 most of it was owned by Americans but since 2016 a lot of the companies were sold off to China and most of the uh, end product ends up in China to my understanding and. And of course, um, Brother uh, um, Daniel mentioned lithium. And we are going through the electric. This, the, the revolution is the electronics revolution. It's about the electric car. The new, uh, the new age that we talk about, the next decade or so, is all going to be about electric. So, so cobalt, lithium is, is paramount <clears throat> to the, the, uh, the next decade, if not longer, um, because of uh, electric vehicles, of uh, AI, because of computers, because of phones, mm. you name the tech, um, Congo is relevant in every single um, item that we are using. Let's get into this a little bit more with our first guest for today. Maurice Carney is with us online. Maurice is the director of the Friends of the Congo organization. Maurice, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Uh, good afternoon. Peace. Peace on you as well. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having me. No, it was great to have you on. Thank you so much for, for your time, first of all. Um, Marie, so we've been speaking about this issue. Um, you just heard what Brother Guillaume had to say. If I can ask you, before we get into the, the you know a little bit more detailed questions, if you can tell us briefly about the current challenges in cobalt mining in the Congo, specifically focusing on the human rights and as well as environmental issues. We spoke about child labor. We also spoke about the injustice that is happening there because of uh, you know this 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 cobalt that uh, the Congo possesses, what is it that you can tell us about that? Yes, uh, thank you. I guess you can characterize it in in three ways. And when we talk about uh, cobalt mining, we're talking about copper mining. Cobalt is a product of mining copper and uh, and nickel. And the Democratic Republic of the Congo, its southern province, the whole Katanga province, uh, has the probably the best quality uh, copper, cobalt uh, in the world. Certainly, uh, Congo produces 
uh, 70% of the world's uh, cobalt. That is to say, if you add up all the countries in the world who produce cobalt, they don't equal what uh, Congo produces. And Congo is often referred to as the Saudi Arabia of, of cobalt. However, uh, because that uh, the extraction of cobalt is a part of a 125 years at least uh, p- uh, system, extractive system, uh, that uh, benefits uh, foreign companies, uh, local elites, uh, international finance capital, while at the same time uh, having a disastrous impact on the local population. And we characterize that impact in really three ways. Uh, one, uh, three Ds, we call it. Uh, one is, is debt. Uh, people who are involved and in, engaged in the uh, artisanal mining, for example, that is mining by hand, uh, often uh, buried in, in, uh, in slides. They dig tunnels down into the ground to extract uh, the minerals, whether it's cobalt or any other minerals, and they do it at great risk to themselves. Uh, so you, you have uh, a dangerous environment in which people are working. And then uh, death, you have destruction. And destruction, uh, we talk about the environment. That is, say, the, the mining, the, the industrial mining takes place uh, as well, which is the predominant form, mechanized mining. And what that does, it leaves a scar on the landscape. It uh, produces a, a tremendous amount of dust that uh, people inhale uh, and uh, cause all kinds of health hazards. Uh, the, the environment, the plants uh, are covered in, in soot, uh, so growing uh, growing food uh, for for farmers is extremely difficult if, if uh, they're able at all. Uh, the, the soil is, is destroyed. The quality of the soil is destroyed. The the waterways is polluted as a result of uh, of the mining uh, to the point where in certain uh, bodies of water the, the fish doesn't grow anymore. Uh, potable water, clean water to be able to to drink and uh, for the local population is not available uh, anymore. So you have uh, death, you have devastation. And the third one is displacement. These huge uh, mines, concessions that are given to multinational corporations, you have to displace the local population. People live where the mines are built these days. So people are displaced, and being displaced, they're promised uh, shelter, they're promised education, they're promised health care, and they wind up getting uh, almost none of that. Uh, so uh, the, the death, the destruction, and displacement are the negative uh, or the disastrous impacts that we see on the local population uh, in the uh, mining areas. Brother Maurice, you mentioned you started off with uh, referring to the mining lease, the term. How long? Yes. How long left? When did it start? Because I know the percentages, oh my, oh my, oh my, the commissions, the commissions on it is—is is it like a defined time? Um, because I know commissions on it do get changed in accordance with which government is in. But I, I, you, you, you mentioned something which I've never heard before, and that there is, a, there is a lease in place. Oh, well, well we really can't, shouldn't really focus much on, more, so much on the lease and focus more on the system, mm-hmm. right? That's in place. A capitalist system that is grounded in extractivism. And I'll share with you why I say that, where the, the lease is as it relates to the local population, mm-hmm. is really inconsequential because the local population do, does not have a say. They, it's, it's between the, lo- the local elite in, in, in Kinshasa, the capital, mm-hmm. and international finance cap, uh, capital, multinational corporations. So why do I say that it's, the, the, the term of the, uh, of the lease, it could, it could vary, it could be 25 years, 
It could be 15 years. Uh, but what happened is that the concession does not belong to the people. So, for example, one of the largest copper concessions in the world uh, with the highest quality copper uh, called Tenki Fungurume, right? Mm -hmm. It was owned by an American corporation called Freeport McMorrin. And they, work in, they worked in, in cahoots with the U.S. Embassy, uh, the leadership in Kinshasa, to get a concession. Now, Freeport McMorrin ran into some financial troubles. They needed to retire some debt. So they sold the concession. And they sold the concession to the Chinese. That's China Molebdenum yeah. uh, acquired it. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the same concession, right, irrespective of the term of the lease, but the same conditions where the multinational corporations, the foreign governments, the local elites are the primary beneficiaries, and the local population continue to suffer and languish in abject poverty. So it's that system that's in place, irrespective of whether it's there for 15 years lease or 25 years lease, irrespective of whether the concession is owned by an American company or a Chinese company, it's the same condition that the local population face. Uh, abject poverty, lack of stay in the decision-making process, uh, inability to benefit from its own resources that is fueling this green energy transition that we talk about. So, so where, where does the president, where does the president sit in this in this takeover from from one one conglomerate to another conglomerate, from one country to another? Where does DRC's presidential where where do they sit? Well, well, that, he's, that's the thing. That's why I share with you the part of the problem is the local elite, including the president, mm. who is primarily concerned about uh, their own personal interests, mm. the interests of their, 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 their party or the interests of the other elite. You have a situation in the Congo where you have a, a corrupt uh, uh, class of politicians that really... Uh, what, what some people call compradors. That is to say, they serve foreign interests more than the local interests. Right? So that's what people are organizing for in the Congo, uh, ultimately, to be able to put people in power that are going to respond to the local interests. But the challenge is the, the, the local population uh, face an array of forces, right? They face uh, their local elite who are connected to powerful folks uh, on the outside. They face foreign governments. The, the president that was installed in, that in, in the Congo, he got in there because the United States backed a, a fraudulent election. Uh, Koch signed it, right? Uh, they faced multilateral institutions like the World Bank and the IMF. They're the ones who wrote the mining laws for the, for the Congo, not the Congolese government. Yeah, right? mining so co the mining the codes. Local, yep. The mining codes, right. So the local population uh, are facing these enormous challenges. And that's why Friends of the Congo said, in order to ultimately resolve the, the issue, uh, in the Congo, the challenges of the Congo, we need a, a, a global solidarity support for the people, back in the people uh, who are fighting against these enormous forces that uh, uh, many of them are in our capital. One of the major companies in the Congo, a mining company called Glencore, was sued by the courts in, uh, in London, you know, for corrupt practices in the, uh, in the Congo. Uh, a mining magnate by the name of Dan, Dan Gertler, who's connected to Israel, who uh, has become a billionaire off of the Congo and uses money to build settlements on the West Bank, he's under um, sanctions by the, the, the U.S. Uh, government for corrupt practices in the Congo. And Joe Biden right now, president of the United States, is looking to lift those sanctions on, on Dan Gertler, who's made billions. In fact, he, uh, Vanity Fair published an article a few, uh, uh, back in the spring 
It says that then Gertler, uh, as a result of his relationship with, uh, with Glencore, the mining company that was uh, just uh, sued in, in the U.K., uh, he makes $200,000 a day in royalties from, uh, from Glencore. Now, the World Bank published a report that says that uh, up to 60 to 70 million Congolese, right? So the population of Congo is 100 million. 60 to 70 million of the Congolese population live on less than $2.15 a day. Dan Gertler, one individual, Israeli um, magnate, started out in diamonds and now in all kinds of uh, minerals in the Congo, $200,000 a day in royalties from this one company. 70, 60 to 70 million Congolese live on less than $2.15 a day. Mm. And this is the situation, this is, this is the, the, the system that's in place that's uh, got the Congolese people living in, as I said, abject poverty, uh, incredibly uh, uh, dangerous conditions, uh, basically trying to eke out a living each and every day. And this is what we're trying to uh, share with the world and ultimately mobilize people to overturn the system that uh, got the Congolese uh, people in a, uh, literally, literally in a death trap. Boris, um, this is exploitation of the highest order. Sounds like modern-day slavery to me. Um, and uh, almost uh, when you talk about how the elite uh, companies and the elite of the world, really, even the governments, are aligned, almost sounds like the word that all the elite pe elitist people hate, which is cabal, uh, but I'm going to use it anyways. Uh, but um, the question is, why is this not in the radar of human rights um, um, right. agencies? This is a human rights right. issue, isn't it? It, it? It is a human rights issue. And the situation in the Congo, uh, a country in the heart of the African continent, which the United Nations says has suffered the deadliest experienced the deadliest conflict in the world since World War II, with an estimated six million lives lost, half of them children under the age of, uh, of five, and the greatest humanitarian crisis at the dawn of the 21st century, where we have 25 million people facing uh, starvation, seven million people internally displaced. Uh, Doctors Without Borders and other agencies says it's the most, uh, for the past uh, 15 years or so, it's in the top 10 most underreported story in the world. Why? Well, in large part because uh, the perception that people have of Africa in general, and Congo in particular, of the dark continent, right? Uh, Joseph Conrad's classic novella, The Heart of Darkness, pretty much uh, put a seal on how people view what unfolds in the heart of the African continent. Uh, so if anything bad happens there, it's like you don't pay attention because uh, things have always, bad things have always happened and they'll continue to, to happen because of these uh, atavistic, uh, bestial qualities of the people who live there. That's the perception. That's a stereotype. So white supremacy is a part of the problem where African lives, particularly in the heart of Africa, the darkest part of Africa, uh, are devalued. They're not on the same level as other lives. So you don't get as much purchase. If millions of Africans die or displaced, oh, that's what always happens. That's what happened to them. You know, they, they live in bestial conditions. They're accustomed to that. So we don't have to pay as much attention to it. When, in fact, the exact opposite is the truth. Is, 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 uh, is the truth because we're talking about a part of the world that uh, has the houses the second largest rainforest in the world. Uh, sequesters more carbon than all of the tropical rainforests uh, combined, right? The, the, the part of the world that 
is home to the largest tropical peatlands in the world. The, si- the peatlands are the size of, uh, of England. It's a, it's a carbon trap. It traps carbon in its soil, in its foliage, uh, to as much carbon as that would be equivalent to 20 years of uh, emissions from pollution by U.S. Uh, by U.S. Uh, usage of uh, combustion, you know, combustion engines. So, but who's who's responsible for protecting this? It's the Congolese people, the indigenous people, those who uh, have the knowledge, the wisdom, uh, the wherewithal to not only protect the rainforest but preserve the rainforest uh, and its biodiversity, uh, not only for the Congo but for the entire planet. So it's these people that uh, we'll be counting on in order to preserve life on the planet. And they have had long-held traditions. And this principle, uh, I'll be real short, uh, called the Basanja. Uh, it's held by the Topoke people. And it's a code of ethic for human beings living in harmony with nature in a way that both can flourish, both nature and humans. And this is what the light, the knowledge, the information that's encased in the traditional values of these people that have been described as dark, backwards, and not worthy of uh, attention or focus. So now that the world is uh, faced with this, this um, imminent crisis, this uh, existential crisis, Congo looms large because on the one hand it has this rainforest, which is vital to combating the climate crisis, and on the other hand it has its minerals, which is indispensable for the clean energy transition. So in both these areas, Congo is vital to the future of the planet, and therefore it is incumbent upon us to be engaged in the Congo, to be in solidarity with the Congolese as they struggle to ultimately control and determine their own affairs, not only for their own benefit, but for all of our benefits who live on the planet. That's why I'm humbled and heartened to see the Palestinian activists uh, making that connection between Congo and Palestine. Saying, hey, we're suffering right now. We're experiencing genocide. But look at what's, what's happened in the Congo. We need to uplift the Congo as well. And that's why I'm on your show, because you've recognized that. And uh, that's the beautiful thing that's coming out uh, of uh, this uh, very, very tragic uh, period that we're experiencing as a human family uh, throughout the globe. No, Maurice, absolutely. The pleasure is uh, mutual here. Um, it, tell us the, a, a, a little bit about help us understand this issue a little more. So how would this be different if this mine or these mines, let's say, would actually be located in somewhere in England or in Canada? What would be different? Well, I, I, could, I can give, <laughs> give you an example. Uh, in the, or in the United States, right? Yeah. Uh, they, in the United States, they, there's a, a saying called NIMBY. I don't know if you've heard the yeah. term NIMBY. Yeah. Not in my backyard, That's right? right? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're working with some local activists in Minnesota, and they, you know, U.S. is in a scramble for cobalt. And the people who organized there and said, not in my backyard. We're not going to have a cobalt mine here. Right? So one, is the, one would be more circumspect in terms of where they actually mine. The standards in, uh, in Canada or U.K., are far different. In fact, it's a double standard. The standards that are held in, uh, in Canada, or uh, in Canada is a good example because it's really Canada is the mining capital of the world. It's the Toronto Stock Exchange that more than half of the capital raised in the world 
for mining. That's where it happens. Uh, in Canada, they have environmental laws, environmental standards. They have, uh, we have, they have in the U.S. and U.K. They have standards for, for, for workers and and equipment and protection. So a whole series of laws and regulations and standards that apply to Canada, that apply to the United States, that apply to the U.K. They all go out the, the window when it comes to Africa, when it comes to Congo, and really other parts of the the global sure, Maurice, uh, But just to understand this a little more. Would the local population, because that's what we're talking about, we understand the environmental standards and we understand the safety standards, health and safety and all of that. That's fine. That's given if it was in the West. How would the local population benefit monetarily if it was in Canada as opposed to in Congo? Or would they? Oh, uh, oh they, they, they would. Uh, right on Accountability International Development uh, released a study uh, that looked at workers in uh, in the mining areas, in the industrial mining areas. We're not even talking about the artisanal mining areas. And they talk about uh, uh, the, the safety standards uh, that uh, are lower, uh, the, the wages, uh, the, the per capita income for Congo, uh, Congolese is about $500 a year. So you have higher wages, uh, higher working standards, uh, benefits, <laughs> the benefits in terms of health, uh, insurance that those are virtually non-existent. So all of the uh, uh, the the benefits that the those at the top, let's call it the top of the the EV chain chain uh, get uh, the the Congolese uh, Congolese workers, the Congolese population would be uh, would have access to that. We saw we see in the United States where they passed the largest climate bill in the world, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that Joe Biden uh, signed into law. Uh, they call that uh, the provisions in there uh, account for the largest climate bill in the world. And we saw how the United Auto Workers and climate justice groups like Sierra Club, 365.org, all of them rallied to say, hey, we're transitioning from a combustion engine to electric vehicles. We need to take care of these workers at the top of the EV uh, supply chain. So we're, we're saying in terms of the Congo, uh, as you look at the top of the EV supply chain and you take into consideration what needs to be done uh, for this transition uh, for the workers uh, at the United Auto Workers, for example, well, we have to same, have the same principle. So I'm not talking about just the government uh, or, or the corporations, but we're saying to the activists, we need to embrace those at the bottom of the supply chain as well and make sure that they're taking charge because there is no top of the EV supply chain, right, for the United Auto Workers uh, without a bottom of the supply chain. The, the cobalt that's coming out of the Congo, the lithium that was recently discovered. So we're making an appeal to the activists themselves, the climate justice activists, the labor activists. Hey, look at these folks down at the bottom uh, of the supply chain and make sure they're part of whatever you're demanding for at the top of the supply chain. Um, <coughs> Maurice, we uh, thank you for that comprehensive answer, but I want to bring it back to some practicalities. I understand where you're yeah. coming from when you talk about you know double standards and Brother Daniel talks about had these been, you know, in, in, in the developed world, of course, things would have been different. My, my point is, why are we surprised that there's a double standard? We should know by now that there is a double standard. Um, when, it oh, comes no, to, no. when it comes to Africa, when it comes to Asia, when it comes to Middle East, right, when, right. We talk of, when we talk of uh, the Western developed nations, um, the standard yeah. will always be double. But my point is, when it, where is the African League in this? Why, why isn't there... Um, is there is there a move by the African League to be, or is there a stomach for them to be involved in this? Um, yeah, you, you're talking about the African Union, right? That's right. Yes. 
Right. Where, where I, okay, are they? Be, is is this is this a trying, point of to, of, uh, I, of discussion? They're they're virtually non-existent, right? Uh, and and this is and I'll try to be really brief. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the overwhelming majority of uh, leaders on the African continent, you have to really take into consideration the post-colonial history. That is to say, there was an onslaught on independent uh, leaders who sought to have, who, who basically act, who were acting in the interest of the masses. I know where you're right? going. So I know where you, Maurice, please, please right. forgive my interjection. Please forgive my interjection. Okay, sure. I know sure. where you're going with it. But yes. we, we, if we were to look at Mali, things are changing. If we were looking at Burkina Faso, things are changing. If we look at Ghana, yes. things have changed a lot. If you look at Kenya, uh, if we look at Sierra Leone, there are things happening in the East and there are things happening in the West which are very, very positive. Africans are taking, yes. they're taking the lead. When, is there a stomach for Central Africa to follow suit? That's what I'm asking. The answer is absolutely yes. And these places that you mentioned, right, uh, the United Nations uh, Development uh, Fund did a study on West Africa in particular, mm-hmm. uh, about a 300-page uh, study. They, they surveyed about 5,000 people in West Africa. And what you see is that the people from the bottom up, they're making this, they're, they're making these changes happen. Mm. Like people are saying, hey, you know, we, we have, we're sitting on top of resources, but we're not the primary beneficiaries. Uh, they're saying we're being exploited by our local elite through doing these constitutional coups under the na- name of democracy. So what we see is the people rising up from the bottom, and the same thing is happening in, uh, in, the, in the heart of the African continent, in the Congo. And what, what, uh, what, uh, what we're doing is trying to shine a light on this to let people know all this exploitation is taking place, but we have local organizations, indigenous leaders, grassroots leaders who are making uh, headways, who are organizing in the face of enormous odds. It's just that in the Congo itself, because there's so much at stake, you know, uh, economists say there's about $24 trillion worth of natural resources in the Congo, and there's so many forces that are working against the Congolese people, it's, a little, it, it's going to take a little more time. It's going to be uh, a little harder. And, and we know Congo is, uh, is particularly critical. Not to go back too much on history, but when that one leader, Patrice Lumumba, came to power in the Congo in the 1960s, he, the West and everybody didn't waste any time in getting rid of him. That's right. Because there was just so much at stake. Yeah. In less than seven months, he was assassinated. Less than a, a few weeks, he was, uh, he was uh, overthrown. So the, the, what's at stake in the Congo is huge. Uh, therefore, it's going to take a, really a, a global solidarity movement to come to the side of those Congolese that are organizing. But uh, make no mistake about it, they're organizing for change. They're, they're working uh, you know, with each other throughout the country in, in an effort to, to bring about that kind of change that, that represents the, the spirit and the ideas of Patrice Lumumba, where Congolese control and determine their own affairs, where Congolese utilize their... Uh, resources, not only for the benefit uh, of Congo, but for Africa overall. Most definitely. Maurice Carney, thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to the show and raising some fantastic points. I, I hope and I pray that this union and this this uh, this fight for Congo um, uh, reaps rewards um, and, and God bless the, the, the hard work that you're putting into it. Thank you. And everybody go to freecongo.org. Freecongo.org. If they want to be a part of the movement, they want to be in solidarity with Congolese, we encourage them to go to freecongo.org. Thank Wonderful. you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Peace be on you, Morris. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That was Maurice Carney, the um, director of the Friends of the Congo organization. And what a revelation that was. That There's interview. a few points that he made there, isn't it? Freecongo.org.
Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Freekonga.org. Uh, friends of Congo, friends of the Congo dot org. Uh, that's that's them. Yeah, freecongo.org dot yeah. yeah. is the other one. Correct. Right. So uh, it's abs- madness, no? I mean, <laughs> it's this just goes back to you know Absolutely. what you know what what it's amazing with all of these catastrophes because that's what they are around mm-hmm. the world. It puts into perspective His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Musur Ahmad, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand. What he has been talking about for decades. That look, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And the need and for justice that he's been talking about. Exactly. Humanity and justice. Mm. And peace. And and where is he taking this from? I mean, look, th- this is uh, g- going back to even even further back than Islam. I mean, religion itself, uh, when it comes to morality, moral codes and ethics and values, this is what religion has told you from, from, from the get-go. I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments, um, isn't isn't one of the statues that do not look at the wealth of others? Don't be jealous. Yes. Don't do that. But then in the Holy Quran, it goes into a little bit more detail. For example, chapter two, verse one eighty nine, it says, "And do not devour your wealth among yourselves through falsehood, and offer it not as a bribe to the authority, that you may knowingly devour a part of the wealth of other people with injustice." So this topic of injustice and humanitarian causes comes over and over again. But one of the <laughs> that's yeah. colonialism, imperialism, yeah, everything. <laughs> you name the ism yeah. over the past few centuries. That's yeah. been described in that one verse. Absolutely. So, so many isms to, to talk about there. Let's now go straight to our next guest for this segment, who is Zen Ibrahim, uh, who's a communications and admin officer at the Rights and Accountability in Development, or RAID. Right. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Wa alaikum assalam, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm, I'm really pleased to have this conversation with oh, you. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, mm. You may have heard uh, our conversation with uh, Maurice Carney uh, we were having around Congo. What, what, are, what is your take on yes. what's happening in <laughs> DRC at the moment? Yeah, so I, um, so I caught the last kind of few minutes of that. Um, and I, I'm representing Raid, and Raid, we're a UK-based um, charity and corporate watchdog. And we try and hold companies to account. So some of the things um, that Morris spoke about, you know, we try and, and you know, hold these co- companies accountable for their exploitation. Um, we're focused on human rights violations, but also we also look at workers' rights. We look at environmental harms. And we do the really detailed investigations and field research in Congo um, to be able to see what these companies are doing. Um, our main thing is to stand with, um, with the people that are being harmed. Um, and try and get them access to uh, remedy. So sometimes we pursue legal routes, but we also look at policy and advocacy routes as well. So which companies um, come to mind when we talk about DRC? So um, we we looked at five of the biggest industrial mines in Congo, which, um, uh, sorry, industrial cobalt mines, which uh, supply most of the world's cobalt. Um, we looked at, for example, Glencore, which is a Swiss-based company, mm. um, but also uh, you've got the Eurasian Resources Group, which is also um, uh, which is Kazakh-owned, but uh, you know also headquartered elsewhere. Um, there's China Mali, um, so there's quite a few Chinese uh, mining companies now. Sure. Uh, and others. So Zenab Glencore is a is a conglomerate. It's a is a huge uh, multinational company, global multinational company, um, uh, in almost a world within itself. How um, have you been able to hold them to account, if at all? 
Uh, we have spoken to all of the companies about what we found in our in our research, uh, which I'll which I'll go into a little bit. But I mean, one of the one of the things that um, that Morris spoke about is the kind of top level of um, of EV supply chains. We've actually found actually very dreadful conditions in these industrial mines. So I would I would take that a little bit further actually and say that it's it, it is not the best of the best. Um, we we did we have spoken to Glencore, but for example, Glencore recorded profits of 34 billion last year alone. But they are paying um, all of their all of their DRC workers to pay them a living wage. It would be less than 0.1 percent of their profit. Um, and one of the things that we found in our research, so we did some research with a Congo-based um, organisation called CAJ, K uh, C A J J. Um, and um, one of the things that we found is a lot of these mining companies are using subcontractor models to um, to get workers really, really cheap. So mm. uh, we saw that, like, official figures, um, that at least 57% of workers employed across the five mines that we looked at um, were earning less than a um, uh, less than a living wage. They were mm. they were they were workers that were hired indirectly by the mines. Right. Um, and, so that the responsibility um, doesn't come directly towards, um, or the finger is not pointed towards Glencore. It's it's another legal company which actually uh, appoints or um, uh, or hires all of these employees. Have you no, been able to take sorry, any? Can oh, I just yeah, sure, just come go, in there? Yeah. I, actually, I would say the responsibility lies completely with them because they shouldn't be using subcontractors to hire, or if they use subcontractors, they should be ensuring that the workers' conditions are um, are up to their standards. So you can't have sure. um, an, no, no, you know, I, an I agree standard. with you 100. Absolutely. What yeah. I was trying to say was that I mean this is one of the instruments that many global companies use to uh, to actually evade um, yes, uh, exactly court cases. That. So yes. uh, yeah. so have you been have have you ever been able to take a company like Glencore or any other to court? Uh, we haven't taken Glencore to court, um, but we are seeing um, we are slowly seeing change in um, uh, Congo's landscape for for uh, legal routes. Um, so there have been some successful cases this year. So Congo has its own labour law, but often it's often they're just under capacity. They're not they don't have enough of the infrastructure or the resources to be able to hold these big mining companies to account. Um, Zen, um, if I may, yeah, just yeah. jump in there. You. You mentioned uh, you're UK-based. The companies are yeah. one is Chinese-based, one is US. There's some in Kazakh. Is yeah. there an international charter that these companies have to adhere to in order for you to, um, in in order for you to um, um, chase them on 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 a particular um, uh, mm. on a particular issue that you can you can pick them on. Well, there are um, international standards, but they're all voluntary at the moment. What ah. we're finding that, you know, you've got all of these standards popping up all left, right and centre because of the electric vehicle supply chain now. Mm. Um, uh, you know, lots of organisations are looking into an ethical battery, uh, but they're not always, um, uh, you, you can't always tie them into a court case. But uh, what, we, what we have found is that if, you, um, if, there, if there is a UK headquarter or Canadian headquarters, um, or uh, U.S. headquarters. Sometimes you can bring those cases um, to the U.K. Um, so, uh, just as an example, on a different case that we're working on, um, we uh, another case that we researched. Um, the London Gold Standard, which is called the LBMA, was taken to court, or was or, or a court case was filed with them last year. Um, so, so that it, it does happen, and, and you know we have cases like that. Um, on this particular p- piece of research on cobalt and working conditions. 
um, we've tried to speak to manufacturers across the supply chain to help them understand what's going on um, at, at these mines. And, you know, workers have complained about excessive working hours, degrading treatment, very low pay, violence, unsafe working conditions and a lack of even basic healthcare provision. Um, so we are look at, we do look at those sorry we do, we do look at those kind of um, UK based uh, legal routes uh, but we're also seeing some movement on that in Congo there was a there was a case with um, um, uh, a, Cong- a Congo com- uh, a Chinese company called Panda and there was a successful um, successful case where uh, an injured worker was able to claim remedy um Zenab, how much of all the hard work that you are putting in 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 bringing these companies to account, how much of it actually streams down to the end person who is earning what one point nine to what two dollars a day, if that? Yes, I mean, um, I mean, as Morris kind of highlighted before, some of these workers are are in um, some are in better condition. They are earning above the above the living wage. A lot of them are earning under. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our research is to, you know, to take uh, to, the point of it is to take it to these companies and say, look, this is what, what this is what we're seeing. What are you doing about it? What are you doing, Tesla? What are you doing, t- Toyota, Volkswagen, Volvo? And we're having these conversations with them. And actually, through this research, we found that none of them have bothered to calculate a wage for workers mm-hmm. um, in Colwazi, in in DRC, which is the copper cobalt belt. Um, and you know, as Morris highlighted, this is country is a this is a very rich country and it should be reaping the benefits of the green energy transition but at the moment we're concerned that um those benefits are not reaching people in the global south and you know the green energy transition it needs to be fair it needs to be just for workers for communities and for the environment and um you know we talk a lot about phasing out fossil fuels and net zero which is absolutely necessary like the fossil fuel, fuel era has to end but Congo's transition is, is really being ignored. Zainab, one final question. If you were sitting opposite Elon Musk now, what would your message be to him? Whoa. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. Because, because let's well, I mean, you know, Tesla needs <laughs> Congo. There is no denying that. I mean, you know, I'm just using one example. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we have spoken to Tesla that Elon Musk owns. Um, what we want is that the green... In- green energy transition has to be just it has to be fair um the people in congo need to be reaping the benefits of of the mining of these minerals these critical minerals um so it would just be just let go of your billions i think let go of your billions (laughs) (laughs) okay okay that was the penultimate question i have one more do are you guys normally in touch with the actual government of congo that I was actually going to that to to you know to see if yes. changes can be made at government levels where these mines are. Yes, yes, we do. Um, we did put our research to them in 2021, and we have some further research um, that's coming out in 2024. Um, so we do put these questions to them. We have to, um, and we can see that the Congolese labour law is actually excellent. The problem is implementation, and I think we do receive pushback on that implementation at times. You know, they're very, very under capacity. They're under resourced um, in terms of, like, you know, the the the, the implementation side. Um, so we we keep those conversations really open. Um, we keep our conversations open with companies across the supply chain, both the mining companies, the auto manufacturers, um, and we just try and push and prod where we can. 
Wonderful. Zainab, thank you so much for taking time out and coming over to the Tribe Time Show. I wish you a thank fantastic you. weekend so and much. evening ahead. May peace be with you. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Like salam. And, and if you want to follow Raid's work, it's at RaidUK.org. Thank well, you. At RaidUK.org. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. See, the, the, why I said Elon Musk, mm. with the amount of billions he's just given away, mm. yeah, about not having advertisers, maybe he's in a mood to give away some more <laughs> for humanitarian reasons. <laughs> you know, there, there's never say never. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's a good question to ask. But, you know, it's end of the day, the ultimate responsibility lies with the government who's in power. Hmm. But what? if the government is in cahoots uh, with all these activities, yes. and if they are the that, beneficiaries, that's the but 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 the, the even problem. even if what they're in cahoots, they are responsible for being in cahoots. Of course, they have the responsibility, yeah. yes. and 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 they must ultimately take that responsibility, and they will be as as far as our belief is concerned, will be responsible in front of the Almighty yes. for that responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, and the, for that grave responsibility. But uh, yeah, if only there were any takers to understand that. It will happen. It has to happen. It has to happen, yes. It has to happen. Um, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, Hazim Islam Surah, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, he said, we should realize and recognize the critical need of the hour. We must accept that peace can only be built upon solid foundations of honesty, integrity, and justice. These are the keys to peace. Until there is honesty and justice, no solution will ever prove beneficial. Weak governance, corruption and a lack of regulatory oversight contribute to the exploitation of workers as this allows mining operations to disregard safety standards and engage in exploitative practices without repercussions which is what we have been discussing for the past hour. And to the question that you put to Zainab there about um, uh, about Elon Musk um, whether or not he'd donate uh, billions to this cause um, I'm reminding, reminded of the verse uh, of a verse in the Holy Quran chapter 2 verse 262 which says the similitude of those who spend their wealth for the cause of Allah is like the similitude of a grain of corn which grows seven ears in each ear a hundred grains and Allah multiplies it further for whomsoever he pleases and Allah is bountiful all knowing so it is it is just a matter for us to take that first step and, and then Allah will uh, will grace that uh, as well. Uh, let me end uh, this show with uh, another, um, quoting another verse from the Holy Quran. This one is from chapter 4, verse 136. And I quote, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it may be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. Whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. That's chapter 4, verse 136. And that brings us towards the conclusion of this discussion on this grave misjustice which is happening all over Africa. We, we just focused on Congo today. We focused on one part of Africa and one area, which is cobalt mining, and um, in one country, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, as it is known. Um, but there is so much, so many other injustices going on all around the world. Um, 
We will be moving on to a different topic. Um, if you've uh, if you've listened to the show and if you liked what you've you've listened to, please do uh, tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Six, oh, sorry, five o'clock news is next. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Draft Time <laughs> Show where Brother Kiyoum was in a heated discussion and debate with Brother Daniel, but I thought, well, yeah, why make exactly. the listener Let's wait? dissipate the heat. Yeah. <laughs> You had your coffee, but you're still heated. Anyways, but probably that's maybe why. Maybe you should get you a cup of water. Yeah. Anyways, um, in this part of the program, we are going to be speaking about um, the topic of Antichrist, the topic of the Jal, the obscure phenomenon that is uh, surrounding many faith groups, religions, people of faith, as well as the coming of the Messiah, the promised Messiah in the religion of Islam. We talk about the Mahdi as well. We talk about the second coming of Jesus in the Christian faith. So there's so many things that surround this topic of the Messiah, of the latter days, of the end times, Armageddon, you name it. What, what, what else is, is there surrounding the latter part of uh, the, the the history of the world, basically, before everything comes to a crumbling end. But how exactly do you understand all of that? How much of that is true? How much of that is something that we need to look into into a little bit more detail? And how do we understand this language that religion, that scripture has used? A question that was asked, or many Muslims actually often ask um, members of the community, of the Ahmadi Muslim community, and by the way, before we get into this, as Ahmadis, as as the Ahmadi Muslim community, we firmly believe that this second coming of Jesus, this second coming of Buddha, Krishna, and, and, and so many more prophets that had been foretold by their own faith leaders, by their own scriptures, by their religious leaders, that has already happened. It has happened in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace, who was born in 1835 in the small village of uh, Qadian in the in, in the province of Punjab, uh, Punjab in, in India nowadays. And he claimed then to be that promised Messiah. We believe and we have accepted him to be that promised Messiah, to be that Mahdi, to be the the messenger of the age. However, he was not someone who was independent. He did not claim to be a messenger on his own accord, based on his own doing, based on his own abilities and qualities. No. It happened because God Almighty, first of all, chose him to be the promised Messiah, to be the Mahdi of the age, but also because of him being a perfect follower of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We do not believe in any new book to be revealed. We do not believe that there's any Sharia, any law, any any text, any scripture, any, well, any holy book that was to come after the Holy Quran, the Holy Quran being the final word of God Almighty ever to be revealed. Now, having said that, the question that we are often asked is, first of all, when we come to uh, explaining and when we come to, um, how would you say, de- 
um, yeah, explaining and and answering a question that that relates to anything basically in Islam. So there's a there's a system that you have to follow. First and foremost, at the very top, we have the Holy Quran. If there is something that we want to find guidance to and guidance about, then we look at the Holy Quran. If there is, for some reason whatsoever, there is no answer in that, you look to the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, this sunnah. If there is nothing in there, then you look at the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which is the ahadith, the, the narrations, the compilation of the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, what he said on certain occasions. If there is nothing to be found in that either, then you look at the consensus of the scholars. So these are the four guiding principles or guidelines that you have to look at. But as I said, in the first, very first and foremost instance, you look at the Holy Quran. Now, the coming of the promised Messiah is proven from the Holy Quran. Similarly, it is generally proven from the Holy Quran that Allah the Exalted says that when when we decide to visit a people with chastisement, when we when we decide to punish a people, we permit their hearts to become filled with sinfulness and immorality. And as a result, they exceed all limits of indulgence in their doings, in their shamelessness, in their immorality, in their you know carnal desires and whatnot. So it is then that divine chastisement or the divine punishment then overtakes them. So it is obvious that these matters as well have reached a climax in Europe and in the world, you name it. You look around, we spoke about what the DRC in the first half of the program. We mentioned Israel, uh, Palestine, we, we've spoken about Syria, we've spoken about Yemen, we've spoken about um, so many different parts of the world where there is conflict. And this conflict is, is, seems to be never-ending. It has not come uh, in the last 20, 30 years. We have not reached a place, we have not reached a time in our existence where we can say, well, you know what, the world is at peace. It never has, and for many people it never will be. So in times like this, um, we have been hearing from religious and uh, religious preachers. We've heard from um, scholars as well that this, these are the signs of the end end times. If you go through social media as well, it's specifically on on Muslim um, channels or you know, Muslim perspective, you are hearing the words Mahdi. You are hearing the words end time you were hearing the words punishment latter days end times and 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 all of these different um expressions but and is it though and it's it's also very relevant that this will happen at a time when ignorance will become yes. normal again uh, sense will not be common anymore justice will not be yeah. justice will be lip service humanity will become irrelevant and if one was to look at the world um uh, as we've been talking over the past hour or so, that uh, the value of life in certain parts of the world is uh, is next to nothing. Justice is not available. It's yeah. double standard. It's a different rule for me than it is for you. Um, if one was to look at um, belief in God, is is deteriorating. Exactly. Um, churches are empty. Mosques are full, but there there is lack of. There is no guidance there. One thing it is important here. To emphasize where the diff, where the belief that Brother Raza just mentioned um, of uh, the second coming of uh, Jesus and how the for the founder of the Amdi Muslim community is the the Messiah that the whole world is waiting for and is that the interpretation 
of the coming of the Messiah, uh, of how he will come, is very similar between um, be- between other faiths in respect of well, how he will come, and and especially around uh, that it will be a, a viol- it will be a violent renaissance. It will be um, uh, it will be a battle um, of, uh, of 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 Messiah um, who will come and destroy. And and that is a notion which is absolutely rejected uh, by the promised Messiah, uh, on whom be peace, the Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. That um, when he came and when he arrived and 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 when he con- when he confirmed to the world that he is the promised Messiah, he talked of how the 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 time of the sword is finished. I'm sure hmm. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm paraphrasing here that the, the time for violence and the time for the sword and time for holy wars is finished. It is, there will not be a need for it because um, holy wars can only happen if people are holy. <laughs> yeah. If people aren't holy anymore, how are you going to have holy wars? So it's very important um, that uh, we understand the basics. And also, it's also very important that sometimes the signs that Brother Raza talks about, there is a wisdom behind these signs. They're not literal in the sense that we're reading. There is interpretations. There are There is wise interpretations um, um, which uh, you know, which maybe someone like me um, or anyone with a superficial eye um, may not be able to understand the true meaning, uh, and and a prophet is needed to give it true meaning, which we believe from the Amdi Muslim community that the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed from Qadian, on whom be peace, he was the one who gave true meaning to what uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his true message. Um, was and how he has come to revive the true message um, of Islam, which is based around justice, which is based around um, knowledge. Hmm. And the pen is mightier than the sword. It wasn't about um, um, making divisions. It was, in fact, about unity. It was about bringing everybody together. And the number of times we've sat here on the Drive Time Show and spoken of the similarities between the coming of the Messiah, the signs yeah. of the coming of the Messiah in all faiths across the board. It, it's mind-boggling to to think that um, um, that that a lot of people think um, that with all these similarities in place, they tend to focus on on the points which cause divisions, um, um, and, and instead of focusing and working actively on promoting the the similarities and the bridges that. Um, that can be built, which we are actively building, more than you know, for over over a hundred years within the Amdi Muslim community. And I think that's that's the, that's probably one of the most important points. That one, th- there's two points here actually. One is that we, when we read these passages, when we read these uh, narrations and explanations and 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 detailed, um, you know. Th- accounts of how the this this will transpire and how all of this will look in the end of times it all seems very it's irrational it's irrational if, but if, it's look, it's uh, it seems like it's it's like the it's like a description of a of a of a science fiction novel uh, where there will be big novel. bangs and this and that well, yeah. you know things like uh, you know a, a donkey coming the sky splitting open. That's um, that's afterwards a person coming down physically from the sky, right? Well, this is the, where it starts, isn't it? Well, the fact that a person was taken up oh, physically yes, actually, was was actually you know <laughs> that's, that, that within itself, that's where it starts. Actually, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's within itself. It it defies the rationality. Yeah. How is it that one person can understand that a person can was just picked up? 
And that is why perhaps a lot of people are actually moving away from religion. Yes. Exactly. Because 100%. it defies common sense. Yes. It defies rationality. And there's always this, this, this dogma. So you have to accept, you have to believe if you want to call yourself a Christian, a Muslim, or whoever, whatever faith you belong to. And if you don't, then you have a problem. Right, and but this that's is, when you're close, uh, when when you're uh, accused of blasphemy and this yes. and that. So I don't know how it is in, in in the Christian faith, but from from a Muslim point of view, I've met enough um, Muslims of of you know different de- denominations who have this perception in their heads, meaning that they believe that Prophet Jesus, peace be on him, peace be upon him was physically raised to the heavens. Nothing will happen of any of that what we've just described until and unless he comes down from, from the heavens, the way he went up. But if he never went up, then all of this that, that, that we have described and what people have in their minds will happen once he descends, all of that cannot happen. So you won't have this Dajjal or this Antichrist that we're talking about with one eye um, sitting on a donkey and riding through half the world within a couple of moments and seconds, all of that we will then have to explain and understand in a different way. How do we understand that? What exactly is the meaning of that? We will come to that in just a little bit. The question comes to mind, are you waiting for the Messiah? If you are, I, w- I would love for you to give me a call and tell me when the Messiah is going to come. I-, I would love to someone say to me, look, your thinking is wrong and this is what will happen and this is the time when he will come and this is what he will do. If it is, if if you believe that the Messiah is coming, then give me a call, 0208-687-7878 and I, because I, I would love to be proven wrong because this reminds me of a question-answer session going back decades with the fourth caliph of the promise of, of the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, he actually said, he goes, because the persecution of Ahmadis within the Islam, within, within other Muslim sects, was, was at a point where people were being persecuted in, in a very violent way. The history of Ahmadiyyat with, uh, within the Ahmadi Muslim community, if you will read it, people were being murdered, people were being martyred because they were believing um, in, 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 in a peaceful Islam. Mm-hmm. And the, the the caliph of the time, at that time, Azam Izzatahir Ahmed, may Allah mercy on his soul, he actually said, you know, you're killing people. But he says, I swear to God, you know, instead of killing people, if you were to prove to me today that a dead man can become alive again, I swear to you that my me and my community will follow you. Hmm. He says, prove to me that a dead man can become alive again. Then we will follow you. We, we will follow. We will get in line and follow you. It is it is irrational to believe that the skies will open up and, 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 and a man who will fly down on, on a donkey or whatever animal it, it, it may, you know, um, that you may perceive that's going to come and, and, and break all the crosses or kill all the swine or, um, or, or kill people of other faiths. Um, um, you know, we, we were talking about um, Israel earlier. You know, there's this, there's this belief in the Zionist uh, mindset that if if you're not a Zionist, they will kill. They will not leave anything alive that breathes if you are not of the same mindset as them. If, no matter where you look, it is absolute violence that is attributed to Messiah, which it doesn't make sense because the philosophy and the teachings of all religions is based on love. Everybody talks of love, but when they talk of end times, 
the talk of violence. How is that rational? And that that's what I wanted to say as well. If you go back, let's say, to the time of Jesus, let's go back to the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. For as as a Muslim, you believe him to be the greatest prophet of all, right? So every prophet was great, but for us, he he has the highest standing. Now, for for the most beloved prophet of God, about God, about whom God Himself said that, "O oh Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. If I had not created you, I had I would not have bothered to create this universe." Mm. All right. So here is a man. He puts him through all of the hardship. He puts him through twenty three years of persecution and trouble and opposition, until he finally gets to the point where. Uh, Islam is victorious in uh, the Arabian Peninsula and it then slowly, slowly starts to spread. But at the same time, you could not say that the whole of Arabia, the entire country, the entire peninsula had been converted. One from the first, from like every single person. It wasn't the case. You still had people who did not believe. So if that was the case with every single prophet, that as long as they lived, yes, majority of them would believe the religion was victorious. They succeeded in their mission, whatever mission they had assigned and whatever uh, reason they had to be to be sent by God Almighty. But there was no hoo-ha. There was no uh, big spectacle and show where people were going up and down the skies and, and people were just converting in masses and everybody was like, yes, this is it. So why do we have this concept about when it comes to the end times. Why does it have to be all about destruction? When God Almighty states that it is the responsibility is the reason of, it's the people that are responsible for their own fate. If you do not come, if you do not um, come back to God Almighty, if you don't uh, develop that relationship with God Almighty, then of course there will be consequences. If you sever the ties of relationship between each other, if you don't fulfill the rights of your fellow human beings, like it is happening today, there's injustice everywhere, there's immorality everywhere, then these are the times when God Almighty feels the necessity, when God says that this is the time that you need a prophet, that you need someone to bring you back to the teachings of, 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 your, of your faith. You know, and isn't that what happened in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well? It, it, without a doubt, and... It, it, again, goes back to that argument of rationality. We live in 21st century, yet we believe Adam is the first man. <laughs> we believe in such scientific uh, progression in, 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 in the world. And we believe in science, yet we separate science from religion in all arguments in a way that we say, well, hold on, when it comes to religion, we, we, we you know, you either believe in science or you believe in in in, in uh, no people in, proudly say that uh, science doesn't uh, apply to religion. But this is, but that doesn't make sense. Again, yeah. in in this day and age, with progression, we believe that there are so many different religions um, with different belief systems, which came at different times, which are spread around the world. But nobody ever thinks. Well, hold on, how are these different dots ever going to be joined up? Because there has to be one. Who will join them up? Because that's rational thinking. Otherwise, they will be splinters. They will have their own mindsets. They will all have their theories. But there has to be one person who has to unify these theories for these different dots to make sense mm. once they're joined up. That's just rational thinking. You know, this this actually reminds me of um, uh, what once the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, said in response to a similar question. And he said that 
it's because all of us have been brought up either by the mullah or by the priest. The cleric. Or by the, yeah, exactly, by the cleric or by the rabbi or by somebody else. Mm. Yes, the cleric in general. Um, it, but even more so, even by our teachers, mm. even by the RE teacher in school, by the way, in that milieu that they actually, um, that's the only thing they know, that they actually begin to do differentiate and and bring a bring a dichotomy actually between science and religion mm. and think that no yeah. they can't be joined up they're yeah. two different things and and the reason why this important is and therefore so we have important. to bring it, believe in stories but but carry on with that brother daniel because it's so important because that's not the belief within the amdi muslim community yes absolutely and and our belief is that science which is the work of god yes cannot be different cannot co- cannot uh, 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 contradict yes. with the word of god which is the quran yes exactly because god created science god created the world mm. and therefore everything has to be in unison and as he very nicely said the jo- the the dots the, have to be joined up yes and within islam islam embraces progression yeah whereas within the amdiya muslim community the teachings of the promised messiah which again are like brother raza said are not new teachings but are revival of the teachings of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him that progression is something you embrace hmm. there are still so many things in the holy quran that we don't know hence why it was the book that was referred to as if it's a book from from when it was revealed to the end of time because as man progresses you will find proof of that progress within the holy quran All right, joining us now on the line is Imam Tahir Khalid who is currently serving in Stevenage and we're going to speak to him about this topic and ask is, him a is few questions. Is he still questions. in Stevenage? He still is in Stevenage. Let's let's ask him. Imam Tahir Khalid, assalamu alaikum to you. I thought he was Oxford. I think he's traveling to Oxford at the moment. Right, Brother, brother Khalid, is that true? I am, uh, my, the, the plans to move to... Um, Oxford have uh, currently been postponed um, until further notice and uh, I'm still in Stevenage. <laughs> Stevenage loves you too much. Stevenage, yeah, Stevenage, loves, Stevenage it is. Yeah, Everybody exactly. loves Imam Tahir. Right. Yes. Correct. We, we miss you. And, and, and you love Stevenage too much probably as well. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Imam Tahir Khalid Zakla, thank you very much first of all for, for joining us today. Um, in in our line of work, this is, this is a question that we have to deal with no matter which... side or which religion or which um, what what people we talk to so when we speak to to our christian friends the topic of jesus does come up when we speak to our muslim friends um the topic of uh, jesus uh, does come up so from our point of view what is it that you you know what's what's the approach that that you have um when let's say speaking to our christian friends Is there something that we have in common or is that something that we are at odds with each other and there's no common denominator there's nothing that we have in common so it's going to be it's going to be an all out war mm. See there is a common denominator uh, and that is that we both Muslims Christians Jews are awaiting the Messiah mm. yeah we as ahmadi muslims are fortunate that we have accepted the messiah that's the main difference between us and the rest of the sects within islam and the faiths outside of islam 
they're awaiting the Messiah, we have accepted the Messiah. To understand the 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 personality of the Messiah, to understand the the, the identity of who that Messiah is, that's a different question. Mm. That's the question which that's the you can say the million dollar question, where everyone is within Islam. They are Muslims. Uh, diff- they have their, their their differences of opinion, um, and uh, within Christians as well, Christianity. The, the, and and Muslims they have that difference of opinions with one another on who the Messiah will be. Um, majority of the world believes that Jesus, son of uh, son of, of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, um, will return. Um, and we believe, as Ahmadi Muslims, that according to the Quran and according to the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Jesus, son of Mary has passed away, a natural death, was not crucified, he was put on the cross, but the act of crucifixion did not complete. And um, after healing, recovering from being put on the cross, that's why there was, of course, what was the need to give a medicine of, you know, Madhama Isa, the Jesus ointment. What was the need, which has been proven today, uh, that the Jesus ointment was given to him? What was the point of giving medicine on a dead body it doesn't make sense hmm. so the, the naturally everyone at that time believed he was still alive medicine was given to heal him uh, he survived and uh, recovered regained health he went on to continue his mission which was ordained by god almighty to preach to the lost tribes of israel um, so he went all the way to Kashmir through afghanistan and uh, uh, met with the, the descendants of the children of israel preached to them the rest of the brothers of of uh, of of as of Yusuf and Benjamin, um, ten of the tribes had scattered all the way across to uh, Afghanistan and, and Kashmir and India. Uh, but yeah, so he we believe he died a natural death in that, and his his grave is in Sirinagar in Kashmir. Uh, and so the rest of the Muslims are waiting for him to come back. Imam Tahir, um, if I may, if I may take you one step back, if if I may. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the 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 process the the of of crucifixion, um, and and I, f- I think it's important to just highlight a little bit that the Prophet Jesus was never on the cross for more than what four hours. Yeah, that as, as a, in few couple, hours, couple a few hours, hours. Couple, yeah. a few yeah. hours, yeah. and at that time you had to be normally when people were put on the cross they were put on the cross for twelve to twenty four hours or even longer. Yeah. and they didn't die because of the crucifixion. and they never and and exactly they, that most of them never used to die. From the crucifixion, but at the end process, the Roman soldiers used to break the bones, um, and the starvation and, and starvation. That they used to go through a whole process of punishment yeah. before. Whereas uh, Prophet Jesus never went through any of that, did he? No, no. He was uh, put on the cross only for a few hours. It was the Friday night. Yep. That he was put on the cross. Uh, Saturday is the Sabbath, um, so it's the holy day uh, of the Jews. So they naturally are not allowed to put anyone on the cross. Um, on the Sabbath, so on Friday night they took him off, um, and so he was only there for a few hours. The two thieves that were on the crosses next to him, their legs were broken, mm. their knees were broken, and because of that, naturally, all of the weight kind of just crumbles, uh, and the pressure means that your chest collapses uh, and you kind of suffocate. Um, but Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, his knees weren't broken, uh, and it is proven uh, historically that when he uh, and in the Bible, that when he was on the cross, his legs weren't broken, but uh, he was pierced with a spear from the side, uh, and blood and water gushed out. 
Now, uh, now, what's the relevance of that? What's the relevance of blood gushing out? Very good question. The relevance is that if a person has passed away, within a few moments, within a few minutes, sometimes longer, your blood dries up because your heart isn't pumping. Uh, and so if blood is coming out, it means your heart is still pumping. Your blood is still flowing through your body. So they mean, that means so that, that uh, there's life present. There is life, and that, and the, and the, that Prophet Jesus was still alive at that time. And we've spoken about the ointment. Why would you give medicine to a dead body? Yes. What is the purpose? You can't heal antibodies. All of the, the red blood cells, white blood cells, antibodies stop working. Your body can't naturally heal itself from the inside. What's medicine going to do on top? Nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So, so Imam Tahir, we, we, just before we came on, uh, Brother Daniel was talking about, and you know, we were talking about um, the, the laws of nature, the the word of God, and the and 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 the doings of God Almighty. So, how do we then explain this? If if, for example, there's a 16, 17, 18 year old Muslim kid who grew up here, his cleric, his imam uh, in the mosque has told him that Jesus went up to the skies, he wasn't even put on the cross, somebody else was given his face, he was put on the cross, Jesus was raised to the heaven, he's there somewhere and he's going to come back and then the show is going to start. If, if I may elaborate on that question, this, this young child who's, asked, who's being told this is also being told that God can do anything. Because he's all-knowing and yes. he, he's God and he will do miracles. But then at the same time, his physics teacher is going to tell him that if something goes up, it must come down. Exactly. There's a thing called gravitation. There's a thing called laws of physics, laws of chemistry. Um, and and so how do you, how does that young child, that young mind actually, not child, but young mind, how do they process that? So we are very fortunate that like you mentioned, with the laws of physics, laws of chemistry, laws of nature, they are laws of God. Uh, naturally, the one who created all of these laws, uh, he has his own rules and standards, which he must naturally live up to as well uh, and uphold. So the way he has upheld his, his rules, his regulations, his standards, is in the Holy Quran. It explains everything. Mm. Uh, from history, from the the you can say the the works of God Almighty, the the beauty of God Almighty, the the wonder of God Almighty, what He does, what He doesn't do. And in the Quran, uh, God Almighty speaks very clearly about the death of Jesus. Speaks very clearly uh, about uh, the, the the verses which the very clear verses which show um, the same words have been used for the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that. He, that uh, he was just, uh, for example, um, in the Quran, um, Allah the Almighty states, "Wama Muhammad Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Wama Muhammadun illa Rasul, Qad khalat min qablihi Rasul." That Prophet, that Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was just the Prophet of Allah. Uh, all messengers before him have passed away. The same word has been used for Prophet Jesus. Uh, Jesus, son of Mary, was a prophet of Allah. All messengers before him, all prophets before him have passed away. The exact same word, the exact same uh, grammatical uh, wordings are used in, in, the, in, in both verses. Mm. So if you try to say that in the verse of the Holy Prophet, all messengers before him, naturally there's an exclusion of Jesus, well, they have to prove that. Yeah. We as Ahmadi Muslims have proved 
that the verses are exactly the same in the sense of what it means. The only difference is that one verse is used for the Holy Prophet, where his name comes, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the other verse talks about Jesus, peace and uh, peace be upon him. And uh, one so, thing that I've mentioned in the beginning was also when when you when you are trying to solve a problem or uh, answer a question within the Islamic faith, at least. There's a there's a there's a process. So there's there's four sources that you go through. So when you mentioned this verse that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was was just a messenger and the messengers before him have passed away. Um, in in the in the history of Islam at the, at the demise of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the fourth source, which is the consensus of the scholars, this is this is what happened yeah. for the first time in the history of Islam, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. So this consensus took place for the first time when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had passed away. Uh, and it's very clear in the narrations and in the historical accounts that uh, Hazrat Umar, um, who later became the second caliph of Islam, um, he, uh, when he heard of the rumors that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had passed away, he was so furious and angry that he said, if anyone says this, I'm going to cut his head off. Mm. Um, and so when uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr, Siddiq, the closest companion, comrade, and friend of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, went and he he kissed his forehead. He saw that he had passed away um, and said that Allah will not cause two deaths upon you, he will not allow you to die two times. Mm. And he came out of the of the tent and uh, the Muslims were gathered around, uh, Hazrat Umar being among them, furious and, you know, ready to cut someone's head off. And he recited these very verses. That Muhammad is a prophet of Allah. All messengers before him have passed away. If he is then killed or slain, will you then turn away from your faith? Hmm. Will you then run away? Um, so, and Hazrat Umar says that it felt as if that verse was revealed for the very first time that day. Um, and then that was the consensus at the time hmm. that the Holy Prophet had passed away. If there was any ambiguity or any belief that Jesus was still alive, then they would have questioned at that time that how is it possible that Jesus is alive the, and the greatest prophet to ever walk on the face of the earth, uh, where Allah Himself has said, that if it wasn't for you, O Prophet of Allah, O Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, I would not have mm. created the heavens and the earth. So how would the Muslims who were so fiercely in love and passionately were ready to give their lives for the Holy Prophet, would they accept? And they had seen the miracles of God Almighty in front of their eyes. Um, why would they accept that the greatest Prophet can pass away? Whereas Jesus is alive for and, and now, coming over two thousand years, there was no compromising on 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 text of no, the Quran of and, and the concepts no. of Islam. And this is this those... is what you mentioned. Sorry, yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting again. The, like you mentioned, the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, the laws of nature, the Quran, the laws in the Quran say that every soul shall taste death. Hmm. The laws of the Quran say that we have not created a human being which can live without food and water. And if we believe that he is in the heavens or in the skies, where's food coming from? Where's water coming from? The the laws of nature, the laws of Allah, the laws of the Quran and the and what the Holy Prophet has elaborated on clearly state 
that when a person goes to heaven, they cannot come out. They cannot come back to earth because there are narrations where people who had been martyred for the way of Allah and went through that pain and saw the pleasure of Allah said, I want to go back. Let me be slain again. Hmm. Let me come back and be earn your pleasure again. And Allah says, no. Once you've passed away, you've passed away. Um, so there... Sorry, sorry. sorry Imam, Imam Tar, one question comes to mind. As a Christian, you can't blame them to think, okay, Jesus is going to come back because mm. they believe in Jesus. But I, yeah. for the life of me, cannot understand why Muslims believe that Jesus is coming back because we know that, the, especially if we know that or we declare mm. that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we call him as the prophet of prophets as a mercy of mankind, to mankind. Yeah. So why would Muslims believe that Jesus is going to come back if God has that power? Why not bring back the Holy Prophet again then? Yeah. See, this is, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a great similarity with the Muslims, what happened in their time, at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in his era, what they believed, to what happened in the time of Moses, peace be upon him, what they believed, and how after he had passed away, the, the, the religion had been distorted. We see in the case of Christians, when Jesus came, he was a Jew, he was a follower of Prophet Moses, who came as the Messiah to revive uh, Judaism. The Jews rejected him, and they uh, assaulted him. They, tried, they, they put him on the cross, tried to crucify him, uh, and he had preached that there is one God. We should we should believe him. We should worship him. Uh, he prophesied of a greater prophet to come as well. But then they didn't accept him. Uh, they, they persecuted him. They tried to kill him. Um, and what happened was the followers, the true followers, the Quran talks very clearly about the true followers, the ashab kahf the people of the cave who lived um, in, in um, underground in the caves. They... Um, they they were persecuted because they were the true followers. But then what happened was we see Paul came for, uh, with his Greek uh, methodology uh, and Greek beliefs of m multiple gods. And he comes and he says, I've seen a dream that Jesus has told me that you must worship me and I'll, uh, if you believe in me as the God uh, and, and that there's the, the, the God the Father and I am the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, then you will be able to uh, be salvaged. And this atonement, all of the misconceptions which are in Christianity today came from the followers who distorted the religion. In the case of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, this has happened where Muslims turned away from the faith, turned away from the Qur'an, turned away from what the Qur'an speaks and says, and they started following and listening to the Christians who came in. This is why uh, when we speak of the need of the Messiah, it was naturally because Muslims in hundreds of thousands were being converted, in millions were being converted to Christianity because Christians had answers. Hmm. They were saying that Jesus is alive. Jesus, uh, your prophet, who is okay. uh, for us, as, us as, as Muslims, we believe the Holy Prophet is the greatest. They would say that your prophet has passed away, is buried under the ground, but Jesus is alive in the heavens. So who's the greater prophet? Yeah. The one who's alive or the one who's passed away? And, do that and the Muslim is not being able to answer they followed Christianity and, and, and right, still and to, await that Jesus to come. To that point and, and, and the question that um, I think Brother Kim was also raising that uh, you know it, 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 that's what Christians believe because that's essentially what 
what Christianity is about, you yes. know, the, the life of Jesus. I would quote something okay. from uh, from the Bible, which is actually written in Luke chapter 24, verses 41 and 43. So this is after crucifixion, uh, crucifixion, uh, and it's mentioned in the Luke, in Luke. Um, and um, uh, and I quote, He, Jesus, said to them, Do you have any food? And they gave him a piece of bo- a piece of broiled fish and some honey, and he took it and ate it in front of them. So this is a Jesus who had actually had been resurrected, according to their belief, had died on the cross and then resurrected, and then that that ghost or that spirit was actually eating honey and fish in front of them. So that's you know a proof right there for all mm. those Christians who might be listening in. There, there's a question that. Uh, a natural question that comes to uh, to mind, Brother Khalid here, which is that um, he, you know all those we believed uh, we believe in in the in the promised Messiah. We believe in his truth. We believe that he he indeed was uh, you know, somebody who actually uh, was born more than a hundred years ago. Was indeed the promised Messiah, and he has actually revolu- revolutionized the lives of every one of. Uh, uh, of its servants, every one of the uh, every person who actually has believed in um, uh, in his in his claim. Um, but there is a question which is often posed, which is that um, he arrived more than a hundred years ago, and he uh, made his claim more than a hundred years ago. Why hasn't the killing stopped if the Messiah was supposed to come and establish peace in the world? So. He himself, he talks about um, the, 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 so there's, there's, there's killings which are man-made or the, the doing of man. And then there are um, the, the, the signs of God. Um, and these signs were to be fulfilled at the time of the Messiah. Um, we've seen the calamities. Uh, he, he, he talks about these calamities which will come um, for the proof of the Messiah. Um, and... Um, so I want to quote, if I may, uh, what he says. Um, he says that uh, calamities were also to serve as a sign, i.e. that there would be various sorts of calamities and trials during the time of the Messiah. He says that heavenly calamities took on the form of, took on the form of famine, plague, and cholera. As for earthly calamities, there are wars and earthquakes which have destroyed the land. So the wars which are taking place, the killings... When people didn't believe place. in his claim, when people would reject his claim, right? Yes. So when, when there, there, there are two sides. There, there's, there's obviously people who... The, the disorder that is naturally on the earth, um, one of the reasons that the, the, the disorder that is happening and the killings that are happening is because the, the people have turned away from God. They have turned away from the teachings of God. Whether they are Christians, Muslims, Jews, um, they have forgotten morality. They have forgotten what it means to be a decent, compassionate human being, to care for one another, to fulfill the rights of one another. But we're not even talking about God right now. We're talking about human beings failing to fulfill the rights of one another. When they, and when you fail to fulfill the rights of one another, you naturally you commit an injustice. And then persecution and cruelties happen to those people who face injustice. And this is what we're seeing in the world today, uh, where governments and countries uh, are attacking one another, people are oppressing and being cruel to one another, persecuting one another, 
killing one another. Uh, with the biggest example we're seeing today is of Palestine, where they are being killed, carpet bombed, uh, and we see the support of the Western world. Um, whereas there are some places where some small silent whispers you're hearing of support for the Palestinians and that there should be ceasefire and they should have their rights. Um, whereas when you saw last year when the Ukrainians were being attacked by the Russians, the whole world came together and put sanctions on Russia. But when it comes to the Palestinians, nothing happens. So the injustices that are happening, the 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 you can say you know the double standards which the world is showing is because they've turned away from morality, and when you turn away from God, immorality comes naturally within you. You you do not have that God-given, you know that the 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 the, the qualities of of love, compassion, mm-hmm. kindness. When you turn away from God, because faith teaches you to to love your love your creator when you love your creator you love your creation when you hate your creator you hate the creation this is what we're seeing in the world today when people turn away from god they will attack one another they'll kill one another they'll slander one another uh, and they'll cause oppression and persecute one another uh, and so the killings that we're seeing today is because people have failed to recognize the the one recognize god yeah. and two the need for a religion, the need for a messiah, which Muslims more than now, more than ever, need. Yeah. So um, and 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 on that note, Imam Tahir Khalid, just lastly there at the end, maybe briefly you can highlight uh, that part as well. The this the Jal, this Antichrist, this this Messiah. So all of that that we understand when uh, he will come down, there will be bloodshed, there will be war, and then at the end of the day, he will win. Uh, how do we understand that? First of all, if you can just also briefly outline what what exactly, how do we understand how, how this is going to be played out? Who is the Dajjal? Who is the Antichrist? What do we understand by that? And um, what's what's the right interpretation, maybe? How do we understand that? So, um, I know this, this is, is a, this is a very very lengthy it's a long topic. Question, I know, but, I'll but try maybe I'll just briefly. Uh, I know we don't want to go into the the, the, the extreme details. Too much detail, but yeah. Yeah, just roughly outline it for us. So the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah upon him has said that the greatest trial which will come upon the Muslims or the world even will be the Dajjal. Uh, it will be the the uh, the great deceiver, as we know, the the great liar. Um, and he's explained that he will travel around the world um, with a, on a donkey, uh, and on his forehead it will say, Gaf, the, the, the three letters in Arabic, Gaf, Fa, Ara, will be there, um, and he will come out at the time of the Messiah. This is very important, that he will appear at the time of the Messiah, um, and he will, um, you know, go about killing and... and uh, you have to, and the Messiah at that time as well would be a bloody Messiah. He will um, cause bloodshed. He will say you either you accept Islam or you die. Um, and there's other things, other things that the Messiah will do. He will go around and he will break the cross. He will kill the swine. Um, so all of these things, the works of what the Messiah will do and the Antichrist or the the Jal, is they're 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 both hand in hand. Hmm. So the Messiah will be doing certain things. 
and, and the Dajjal will be doing other things as well. This, what we believe as Ahmadi Muslims, is that this is a metaphorical uh, explanation of what will happen at that time, where the Messiah will come, he will break the cross, meaning he will, uh, he will, he will demystify the false teachings of of Christian of Christianity, of the Trinity, of that Jesus died on the cross. So not break the physical belief. breaking of of crosses. It's not a physical around. breaking. I mean, how is that physically possible? If a, if a person comes and he sees that he's living in England now, in London, where millions of people wear crosses and chains with crosses on them, rings with crosses on them, how is that person supposed to go door to door, uh, person to person, say, "Give me your cross. I need to break it, please." Uh, if they don't, if they say, "No, you can't have it. It's mine." What are you going to do? You're going to fight that person. Uh, and then we become, when it comes to pigs, uh, there's farms across the UK. You're going to go to a farm and uh, you're going to say, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm supposed to kill the <laughs> pigs. Uh, the, the, the farmer is going to be like, are you crazy? How are you going to come into my, my farm and tell me you want to kill my pigs? I've, you, know, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, and then across the world, there's millions and millions of pigs. You go and kill a pig... In, in, you kill all the pigs in England, and then you go into France, the neighbouring country, and uh, by the time you kill all the pigs there, the, the pigs have grown back, or more, <laughs> more pigs have been born in, in England. So it doesn't, doesn't French make sense. are not going to take that lightly. <laughs> yeah, so it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Of, of, so it's, it's, uh, it's, as the, the work and the task of the Messiah had been explained, literally and um, metaphorically, similarly, the task of the or the the works of the Antichrist, the the Jal, were explained literally and phys- and and uh, metaphorically, of how he will travel on a donkey. It's a metaphorical language, meaning he will his his he will be at that time there'll be modern transport, yeah, yeah? modern day <clears throat> transport where people are able easily accessible uh, can can travel from one country to the to the other. Um, and when it turns, in terms of him being the Dajjal, means the great deceiver. Ultimately, as Ahmadi Muslims, we believe it is everything which takes you away from God, which takes you towards immorality. Because when you turn away from God, you turn towards immorality. And this is what the great deceiver is. So everything that takes you away from your focus of God, that is, in a way, a, a, a making, a creation of the Antichrist. Whether that's your the, the the best house you can buy, whether that's the best car you can have, whether that's the best phone you can have, whether that's the greatest technology you can make, all of these things came in the time of the Messiah as a way as as materialistic things to take you away from God. To for, and for, as Muslims, yes, we can use them. We can uh, to to certain means. But what when you use them too much, what happens? You turn away from God. For example, I'll give an example as Muslims. We're supposed to pay five times a day, but what happens when you've got your the your your favorite Netflix show is on, but it's time for prayer? Do you watch your video? You continue watching your series, or do you end your? Do you turn the TV off and say, okay, it's time to focus on God and pray? But what do we see? People are turning away from God. They're focused on watching films, uh, watching immorality, uh, spending time and and money on lavish things and luxuries of life traveling the world, using modern-day technology, which the Messiah was supposed to come out in that time of the Messiah, um, and are ultimately turning away from God. 
that's what he this is all the signs that we're seeing hmm. are being fulfilled in front of our eyes the wars the calamities the earthquakes uh, the natural disasters and the man-made catastrophes and wars are all signs that the world needs a messiah and we as ahmadi muslims believe that that messiah has come in the form of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. He writes himself, and I'll end with this quote, and he says that this this was indeed the appointed time for none other than the Messiah. Had I not been appointed, someone else would surely have appeared. Because it was the time for him to come. Hmm. So it's so this is this is and I'll end on here, I've taken a lot of your time. Uh, but um Ultimately, if people are awaiting or are struggling to see the signs, we're very fortunate, not even as, as a Muslim, as an Ahmadi Muslim, as human beings, we, have, uh, we owe it to our Creator that we, the least we can do is ask Him. We should go into seclusion uh, or somewhere we can be quiet and alone and just ask God if you're there. Show me your signs. Show me your guidance. Show me the way that I can reach you. Mm. Because all of the trouble that we're seeing around the world, there needs to be a, a solution. There needs to be someone who can bring us back to morality. And that happens when with the Messiah of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Imam Dahir Khalid, Jazakallah, thank you so much for, for <clears throat> joining us today and for explaining this in so much detail. It was great to have you on, no doubt. Maybe the next time we can have you back in the studio. But Jazakallah, as I said, thank you so much for, for your time and for joining us today. Jazakallah, thank you very much. Assalamualaikum. Now there you have it. I think Imam Khalid uh, explained everything that we needed to have explained. Just lastly, I think just to summarize a little bit what he said, we're not going to be expecting Jesus coming from the skies. Uh, as far as Muslims are concerned, the Promised Messiah, Hazrat has said in one passage, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that if you want Islam to continue to live, if you want the religion of Islam to be alive, then we have to get away from the concept that Jesus is still alive. Uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, a uh, very respected prophet, very beloved prophet of God, mentioned in the Holy Quran many, many times, him as well as his mother, his story. But he needs to, we need to let him basically, let him die, let him live a normal, natural life like every human being, like every prophet, like every beloved of God Almighty has ever lived. If we want uh, Islam to continue, if we want Islam to prosper, if we want Islam to to be that living religion that w was meant out to be. Um, lastly, there, as far as the concept of the Jal, as, as far as the concept of the Antichrist is concerned, this is not something that we need to understand like it is portrayed in the movies. Nobody is going to come down from the heavens physically. Nobody is going to wage a war against the other nation or against the other religion because that is not what the purpose of religion or of the Messiah will be or should be or ever was. He is going to come to unite mankind. And how are we going to do that? By focusing on that which we have in common through love, through uh, eradicating hate, by focusing on the things that we have in common. We all believe in the existence of God. Every religion speaks about a higher being. So if that is something that we all share, if that is something that we all have in common, then that is something that we have to focus on. 
The second thing that we all have in common is our human family. We all live with each other. We all have to share this planet. So if we don't fulfill the rights of each other, as we're seeing in the world, that is not happening. People are, governments are usurping the rights of other governments. Countries are invading other countries. Nations are being destroyed just because they belong to a certain part of this world or are of a certain color, creed or race. That is something that needs to end. That is something that must end. Otherwise, as I mentioned at the beginning of uh, the show, the wrath of God Almighty will come down on us. How much of that we will see in our lifetime, that is something that only God knows. So there is no specific time um, about the end of days. But for us, the promised Messiah on whom be peace has arrived. And that revolution, that change in the world that needs to happen, it can happen now if we follow the teachings and the the, um, the the teachings of the promised Messiah, the teachings of the Holy Quran. With that, we're going to take leave from you. Thank you very much for listening in. Tomorrow morning, SML is going to be with you at 10 a.m. and we'll be back on Monday, inshallah. Today's program was researched and uh, produced by Aiza Rabbani. Jazakallah to her as well. And uh, again, until next week, assalamu alaikum.